Well, Ephesians chapter 4, are you ready? We're halfway through the book approximately, at least by chapters we are, and um, moving well through this, I, I'm getting a little concerned. Uh, I, we were in chapter 3 so long that the pages of my Bible are deteriorating, um, so I'm going to try to go forward, go faster, just because I don't want to have to buy a new Bible. So, um, just teasing. All right, I want to read to you chapter one, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll do a little introduction, and then we'll jump into this this morning. So, chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And I think that's where we'll stop, verses 1 through 6. And it, it continues on, and this whole chapter is a continuation. So uh, the, actually, this is part one of a message called The Full-Grown Body, and we're going to be looking at that at least um, through the next 16 verses. We're going to be talking about how the body grows. And Paul kind of introduces it here. Now, uh, I said earlier, and, and we've said this the past couple of weeks when we've looked at this, of course we had some holiday Christmas in there and some other things that we talked about, but that, um, like a lot of Paul's epistles, epistles the, the first half of the epistle basically deals with basic cr- Christian teaching. In our church circles we call, that, we call that doctrine. And then after he lays down this foundation, he has words like here he has in chapter 4 verse 1, therefore... He, he tells us what our response is to be to what he just told us. Here, I'm telling you this. Now, here's what you should do with it. And, and that's the case with this. I actually mentioned that the prayer that, that ends chapter 3 probably should be a part of chapter 4 because he, he ends with, a, uh, with uh, chapter 13 ends with a sentence with a period, it's a, it's a complete thought, it's a complete sentence. He then goes on and says, for this reason, and then, you know, so it, it doesn't really matter what, the, what it is, but kind of might help with our thinking as he goes on after that period to pray and then says, now, having prayed for you, here's what I, here's what I want you to do. So firstly, let's talk about doctrine. Everyone, everyone has an accepted doctrine. Or we'll see, talk about it a little bit later. Here we read about it earlier, uh, a faith, um, uh, an accepted a body of belief. Doctrine is no more than teaching. And when Paul later says uh, one faith, he's talking about a, a, a body of truth. So let me go back to the beginning of this. Everyone. Even, even the, the atheist 
has a set of belief by, beliefs by which he lives. That's his doctrine. That's his teaching. It's not biblical, but that's his. He, everyone, even if they say it doesn't matter, I don't, it, it doesn't matter, I, I don't give it any thought, their faith or their doctrine by which they live is that God is unimportant and not worth my time. That's obviously not a biblical doctrine. That's obviously an incorrect doctrine. Um, That's obviously a doctrine that's been uh, uh, rejected by the vast majority of people throughout all time. Whether Whether they worshiped Aphrodite or whether they worshipped Yahweh, the God of Israel. They, they rejected that. Now, obviously, that's wrong. But it is doctrine nonetheless. So, when someone says to you, you know, they, they, don't, they don't emphasize doctrine, it's, it's uh, hmm, it's not really a correct statement. There are, there are pockets of Christianity out here which de-emphasize teaching and over-emphasize experience. So it's not necessarily what the Bible says. It's maybe what you feel about it or what experience you had. Now, if you're careful with this book, you'll find out that we judge our experiences, we judge our feelings, our emotions by the eternal truth that's written here. However, when we get to the place where we say, well, we're going we're gonna to put experience over doctrine... You have not. You have just switched proper doctrine for incorrect doctrine. You still have a doctrine. Your doctrine is is that experience is more important than what the Bible says. How many are with me here so far? So, just, if someone says, you know, I, I don't, I don't like doctrine. I don't, I don't, I don't mess with that sort of stuff. Yes, they do. Okay, unless they're just dumb, you know. A dumb, I mean dumb like an animal. Eat and sleep, do the other things that animals do, go on their way. Here in this book, we're at the cusp between doctrine and doing. And I've already kind of mentioned that to you. There are three chapters about all that God has done for us. And now we're getting into three chapters about how we're to respond to that. Now, I want to look back and just read a couple of verses to you from chapter 2, verses you're probably familiar with. Verse 5 in chapter 2 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, um, well, I should have started there. It says, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
And if and I started verse four, I could have started earlier, I could have started in chapter one, but when you look back, you see all of these past tense things that have been done, and the doer of those things is God. God through Jesus, God through the Holy Spirit. It's God who has done all those things. It is not us. We, 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 we haven't done them. God has. So this, what we're dealing with here is the gift of God. It's not of works. There's going to be no boasting before God. As a matter of fact, he says that we are his workmanship. So the doing, all right, that begins here. I said, you know, doctrine chapters 1 through 3, doing chapters 4 through 6. The doing that begins here is what God wants to do in our lives. Now, folks, um, there are entire uh, I want to say denominations, but that's probably not correct. Uh, there are retire, entire religious systems that are based on a moral code that require you to do certain things to earn God's favor. That's incorrect doctrine. Any favor that comes to you from God has been purchased for you by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing you can do to earn it. If so, you would have right to boast. And later when Paul talks about this in the, in the book of Romans, and we may, Lord willing, eventually get there, he talks about a laborer. He, he, instead of boasting, he puts it in a different terminology. He talks about a laborer and his wages. And if you labor, you expect to get paid. If you do certain things, you expect there to be a recompense for what you have done. And so as we read through these things, uh, and, um, you say, well, my, my Christian background is not that, is not that uh, you know, I've never heard that, that we have to do certain things to, be, to have, you know, the favor of God. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Almost every evangelical religious system that we have here in Western civilization uses your obligation to God to get you to do certain things, either for the Lord or for the organization. Almost every single one of them, unless it is very clearly articulated. And in most instances it's not, and the lines are fuzzy. Some people don't even realize they're doing it. Some do realize they're doing it. Some don't even think about it. They don't even think. So I, I want to go, go back to this, and it's, 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 this is a fine line in thinking here, but if we get on the wrong side of the line, we're in error. It is the gift of God, not of works. There is no boast, boasting. We are His workmanship. The doing that is being done is not being done by us. It is being done by God. It is what God wants to do in your lives. So when we read here in just a minute that God wants us to be humble, that we're to be, that we're to be humble, that humility is the thing that God wants to do within us. We don't get humble and say, God, here I am, I'm humble. The moment we do that, 
We're no longer humble. Of course, you heard about the guy who won the Humility Award. He was very proud of it. So our, our, our step as we grow into this stature of the measure of the fullness of Christ, our step is to not to do these things, but to yield to Him as He does them so that we have no place to boast. When by the Spirit we yield to Him, remembering by the Spirit that we, are, that we as believers are dead to self and the world. So I, I want to come back to that. That we, we are dead to self and the world and that we, because we have shared in His death that He does these things within us. So, it, it, it's not even the, the, the fertility of our brain that brings to mind the fact that Jesus Christ died for us and I'm dead with Him. It's the Holy Spirit that prompts that within us, that brings that thing to mind. That's why, that's why Jesus touched the disciples before he, was, before he ascended. That's why when the Holy Spirit came, which he promised it would. He said, if I go away, I'm going to send another comfort to you, and the comfort will be with you all the time. And he will, what, lead you into all truth? When the Holy Spirit came, and, and those guys who had no idea what was going on when Jesus walked on the water, who didn't understand the fact when, when uh, of so many of the things that Jesus did all of a sudden had insight into it, because that was the Holy Spirit that did that. The Holy Spirit quickened to their minds the things that Jesus said. Oh, now I see. And, and, we, and, and they can say, well, yeah, I came up with that. They did not. The Holy Spirit did. I, I, hope you're, I hope you're following this. These things that God does within us as, because we are His workmanship, He is making us. We are not making ourselves. He is making us. So even the fact, even the fact, if we remember, well, yes, Lord, I'm going to be broken and humble before you because I'm going to die to self because you died for me. That all came from the Holy Spirit. So these doings of His show us His work in us. So hopefully, you, as you move through 2024, you'll see things in your life that are different than they were in 2023, because He's doing His work. In you, whether it's this enumerated list that we have here, um, I flipped away from it. He talks about humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing. And we'll talk about all these words here in the in the upcoming upcoming days. If not today, then next week. We'll talk about all those words and what all those things mean. That that as we move through 2024 and we look at that and we say, well, yes, I, I was gentler in 2024. I had more patience. In 2024, I, I can see that last year at this time, then, and, and if you say, yeah, I'm cool, okay, then you missed it. You missed it. Because you didn't do it, God did. You're His workmanship. So these doings of His show His work within us, 
show us how much he's done, and also shows us how much we still have to go. So we have to be careful here that as we walk through this, as we think about these things, that we have a mind of grace and, and, not, and not a mind of uh, morality teaching. If we, get, if, if we get into this place where we're, we're focusing on what we need to do so that God can be pleased with us, that we're going to miss His grace. At the same time, when we look at these things, these are things He wants to do within us. This is His will for our lives. And that will is accomplished in our lives as we yield to Him. So as we look at these things, one commentator read, he read down that list and he wept. Because as he read down through the list, to his mind came the areas where he wasn't humble or he wasn't gentle or he wasn't patient. Now guess who brought those things to his mind? Holy Spirit did. Guess what he's supposed to do with those things? Be humble before God and confess them. And ask God to do his work within them. By the way, if you pay, pray for patience, what's God going to give you? Okay, you know it's not like the saint. Lord, give me patience right now. You know, I I, I need it right now. I, I, it's the trial of our faith, James says, that what works patience. Well, let patience have its perfect work. So, I I just want to interject this. We're, we're going to look at this more as we go through this, but I just want to interject this. But. Um, Because in our culture, some things are emphasized past the point of their effectiveness, uh, past the point of their, of their reality. Sometimes we can look and say, well, Jesus Christ came to take care, to, to, uh, to free me from sin, to forgive my sin, and to provide for me, listen carefully to this, an abundant life. That means I won't have any trials. That means I won't have any difficulties. Well, that didn't work out for Paul, did it? It didn't work out for all those apostles. The only one of them who lived and died what was apparently a natural life was John. Or a natural death was John. And not only that, we, you, know, we, we, you know, we can go down through the list. He says, Paul says, I was shipwrecked, I fought with beasts, I was stoned. And we can go down through that list and see all those physical things. Paul also said, I was pressed out of measure so that I despaired even of life. He says that to the Corinthians. What does that mean? He says, I was under so much pressure, I didn't care if I lived. Um, that's why one of the reasons we're reading the Psalms is so that we can realize that as we walk through this Christian life, there's going to be times of doubt and fear and confusion and wonder. And I don't mean wonder like, oh, that's marvelous. I mean wonder like, what in the world am I going to do tomorrow? There's going to be times like that. And in that, God is always 
faithful. Listen carefully to me. If it was up to us in those times of bewilderment and confusion and fear and doubt, we would fail. But because it's not us up to us and we are his workmanship, that's how Paul can say we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Let me take it a step further. We can even fail. We can make the wrong decision. We can say the wrong thing. We can go the wrong place. We can spend the wrong money on the wrong thing. Whatever, whatever it is, we can even make a mistake and we can look back and say, oh, like, like I said, my commentator did, oh God, I'm so, I fall so far. We can look back and say, I, 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 I really messed up, Lord. What am I going to do? And we can still trust that he is faithful because we are his workmanship. Say, well, what about the poor saint that goes through that failure and then cries out and says, God, why did you forsake me? Well, just read the Psalms. Because that's what David said over and over again. Lord, where in the world are you in the midst of my trials? Now, don't go out looking for, you know, emotional distress. That's not the point of this. I can guarantee you that enough will come without you going and looking for it. Okay? Don't have to be an emotional martyr. So, he's, he's going to show us what he wants to do. He's going to show us how far short we come, how, how far from what, his, from what he wants we are, how much we still maintain sinful control. The dead man has no control. The dead man's not supposed to have any will. And these things are used by the Spirit as, as we read these as motivation to praise Him and also to repent. So I, I wanted to emphasize that before we get into this. And so, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, this is kind of crazy, but let me give you a summation to the introduction. <laughs> the, we, we do not boast because it's all him it's all him anything short of these goals is not of him it's either us or the world so when he says with all humility anything short of that is because we've failed or the world has crept in we've let, we've let the world come in we all fall short. And as bitter as it may be, when we fall short, we learn. What do we learn? That it's all through Him and that it's all about Him. Jesus. Can you say amen? I've told the story before, I'll tell it again. Um, I saw a fella, a friend, a few months ago, and he's a big deer hunter. I said, you go deer hunting? He says, yeah, I got a great big one, but I didn't send you a picture. And I laughed because I knew what he was saying. He says, last time I sent you a picture, you scolded me. I said, what are you talking about? So I knew what he was talking about because I remembered. He sent me a picture of this great big deer he got, and then at the bottom he wrote, God is good. 
How many know it's okay to praise God? God gives you a great big deer. Uh, I mean, this, this guy was just standing up in some stand and the deer came by. You know, it, 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 so God had a lot to do with that, I assume. So he said, God is good. And I wrote him back. I said, God would still be good if the deer had killed you. How many know that's true? <laughs> so that's why he didn't send me the picture the next year, uh, so, which is good. And we, and, and we laughed about it. And he understood the statement. But can, can you see where we are, folks? It's good for us to give praise when God does a good thing. Maybe it's better we give praise when we don't see the good in what's going on. We still honor God and say, God, I know you're in control. I don't like this. It hurts. I wish it would go away. But you are who you are and you never fail. And I'm going to trust you as best I can. Lord, help my unbelief. And we walk on in faith. All right, that was a summation to my summation. All right, so chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. A prisoner. So he gives an appeal to them. I'm going to throw a couple words in here. We're going to kind of look at some of these words because they're important. I'm going to throw some of them in here. He says, a prisoner. And then the, the ESV says, urge. My Bible says, urge. Some of your other translations may say something different. I think King James says, beseech. I beseech you, Paul. I'm Paul the prisoner. I'm a prisoner for the Lord. I beseech you. So he, he, he's basically begging these people. He's pleading with them. It's not a, so the important thing is here, it's not a command. I command you. There is places where Paul says, I command. But he doesn't do it here. It wasn't a demand of Paul. Paul, Paul was with the Ephesians about three years. And if you, if you remember, when Paul went on his journey, and he knew as he was uh, coming to the end of his uh, coming to the end of his journey, that when he went back to Jerusalem, he was going to be arrested. Every place he went, there was prophecies, and he he called the the he called for the elders of Ephesus to come meet him in a port city where his ship stopped. And you can read about this in the book of Acts. And they wept. Because Paul said to them, you will never see me again. And they tried to dissuade him and he says, stop it, quit breaking my heart. And the Bible says they wept on his neck. That's a relationship he had with these guys. They were a beloved family. So, even though Paul here was a prisoner of the Romans, he didn't give the Romans any credit. He, knew, he knows who's really in charge. He said, I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Uh, and then he says, I beseech you or I beg you. Now let me give you a little note here. Uh, I don't know what translation you're reading um, I'm, I'm reading some I'm reading some commentaries that were written before 
the ESV was even conceived. Actually, I'm probably reading some commentaries <laughs> that were written before the editors of the ESV were born. Okay? And I'm a, I'm, I'm a little concerned because often the old King James Version or the New American Standard Bible, New American Standard Version, have more illustrative language. Um, I'm concerned that the modern translators, like my ESV, have lessened and lightened the impact of these words because of the dumbing down of our culture. I remember years ago when I was working with youth groups, I read a figure, I can't remember the exact figure, it was between 80 and 95% of high school graduates could not draw inferences from the things they read. Let me say that again. They could not draw inferences from the things they read. So what did you read? And I'll I'll tell you, I have this happen happen all the time. What did you just read? And they will repeat back to you what they just read because they're not able to take the sentence they just read and tell you what it means in their own words because there is something broken broken in here in the thinking process and and some of these people they understand this they look at this and so they they put this language so if you've got opportunities to read some of these things in multiple translations it would be good to read one of the older ones a great majority of the king james version came out of tyndale's bible all right i'll get down off of that soapbox so he says, look, I'm a prisoner. I'm, I'm begging you. And then he says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And walk there means to live. Worthy has the idea of a balance. You know, picture the old, kind of picture the old scales. And there's, there's different translations to different, and different ways to look at this. But it's basically a balance that the weight of one corresponds with the weight of of the other. So our walk or our manner of living is to represent the weight of the blessing that was given to us to God through Jesus Christ that Paul took three chapters explaining that before the foundation of this world he made this plan of, of salvation. That one of the things, that, and I'm just paraphrasing it here quickly, he made this before the foundation of the world and that he made this plan of salvation so that he could show his greatness and his grace through all of the uh, 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 creation that's out here that's not part of this earth. I don't have time to go, to, to go through that. And, but that's, folks, that is heavy. Go back to the old hippie days, some of you may remember. That's heavy. There's a lot of weight behind that. Don't think your walk and the way you live doesn't matter. You stand before God every moment of every day, every thought. God knows every thought. That's why we're to bring all of them into captivity. What does that mean? We're to bring them into control. We're to control them. We're to let the Holy Spirit deal with every one of them. And the Holy Spirit will if you let him. And then if you say, oh, that doesn't matter. Everybody else is doing it. Then you just, you just thwarted what God wanted to do in your life. He says, you walk worthy. Worthy of the calling to which you were called. Um, there may be some, you may have some different words in your translation. It's, so this, is, this is okay. I think it, I think it makes sense. 
uh, we're, we're kind of back to the all-important theme here of, of what God has done. It's God who's done this. John six forty four and 45, Jesus said, No man can come to me unless what the Father calls him. In John twelve thirty two, he says, If I'm lifted up, then all men will be drawn to me. Okay? There used to be, um, well, there still is, a, a, a practice. It, it, it has its basis in bad theology, but a practice that was engaged by in our churches that you could convince people to be saved. That you could, you could so overwhelm their emotions that they would yield to God. That's why all of these theatrical lights are here. Because there were plays in here that were Jesus was crucified and I think he died over here and he rose over there because he went out that door and he ran around behind the building and he came over here with a new garment on and the lights would flash and I think I can't see anymore up there because those lights are in my way but I think we took the disco ball down uh, but there's a box up there. You guys can see it. I can't see because of the lights. There's a box up there that's got a motor in it. You can put a disco ball on that thing. I'm not even sure if we have the disco ball anymore. I suppose we ought to get it out and have some fun with it. Say, <laughs> so why are you saying all this, preacher? Because those programs called the musicals were designed to stir people's emotions and get them to yield to Jesus Christ. Again, I've been doing this, folks, for about 45 years. You say, preacher, were there people who who were genuinely saved in those meetings? Yes. The vast majority of them were not. The vast majority of people who responded to those things were responding to an emotional appeal, and it only went as far as their emotion because they can't be saved unless God draws them. They have to be called to Jesus. They have to, God has to do something in their heart. And I could go down through the theological steps of what goes on there, and I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure that the theologians have all the steps in the right order. I don't know that it matters, but a bunch of things have to happen, and it's God who does them. It's not us. I don't wake up one day and decide, oh, today I'm going to be a Christian. Calling. Romans chapter 8. Verse 30, very, very strong. He says, the same God who called us, justified us, and glorified us. And the verse goes on and on. The calling here is to salvation. And so he's not, he's not talking about a vocational call like a minister. Uh, however, I want to throw this in here because we'll, we'll come on this again later. Whatever you do for an honorable living, whether it's sales, manufacturing, education, whether you're a homemaker, etc., you are called, if you're a believer, you are called to serve Jesus Christ as a holy priest. You are part of the priesthood of all believers and 
that's Bible and we can thank Martin Luther for bringing it back to our attention. How many are still here with me? Okay. So before the... You know, um, in Martin Luther's day... um, there was a certain point in his study for the priesthood where they prayed for him and he became more than a man. That's what Roman Catholic doctrine was at the time. He became a special man. And when he saw from saw the truth from Scripture about what salvation was, when he read that all believers are a royal priesthood, and that we have sacrifices to give to God, and that that's part of our calling, then we, we now call it the priesthood of all believers. That's the term we give to it, but it's, all, but it's throughout Scripture. So whatever we do, we walk as if we have been called to serve Jesus Christ in that particular area. Here, Paul is a literal prisoner on behalf of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So we should take seriously what he says. All right, let's look at one word here and then we'll, we'll, we'll skip. And we'll, we'll come back to this, Lord willing, next week. Walk in a worthy manner of the calling to which you've been called with all humility. Uh, did you know that in the Greco-Roman culture that Paul is writing and Jesus lived, humility was not a virtue. They had, neither the Greeks nor the Romans had a word for it. The words that we have for it very possibly go back to the compound words that Paul made here as he wrote Scripture. Now, think about this, folks. In the world that Paul lived in, humility was a character flaw. Today, we we might we got we going to go down here a little bit. Patience or bearing, and the King James verses says you know um, forbearing. Another place it says long suffering. So today we might have long suffering in dealing with the prideful or the arrogant, boastful person. the The biblical standard of humility came from Paul's writing, and it came from Christians in those days. Humility was seen as a character flaw and it was connected with cowardice and it was shameful. And we're moving that way again. I don't know if you, if you see in our culture, we're moving that way again. But that doesn't in any way diminish the calling that we have to be humble before the Lord. And why should we be humble? Because everything we have, all that we are, all that we ever will be, is through Jesus Christ. Because we are His workmanship. Not because of what we do, 
Not because of what someone did before us. We, 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 can, we can read the books. We can stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. We could do all of that. None of that could have happened. We wouldn't even understand what we read if it wasn't for the good grace of Jesus Christ. May our eyes be opened to what God wants to do within us. In chapter 1, Paul writes this as he prays. He said that you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I'm going to stop because it's another one of Paul's run-on sentences. I think you get the picture. Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts before you today in gratitude for what Jesus Christ, your Son, has done for us. We are undeserving. You don't love us because we're worthy. You love us because you are love. And I pray that as we read through these words in these next verses and we see how you work within your body, the church, that you will do your work within us, that we will yield to what you would do, whether it's humility or patience or forbearance or love or grace or all the other things that are going to be mentioned as we go through these next three chapters, that we would yield to your good pleasure. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.